We're in Revelation chapter 21 today, and we're starting in verse 9, looking at New Jerusalem. Let's open in prayer. Father, thanks so much for this day of study and for the opportunity to open your word and to learn what it has to say to us. We thank you that you've given us this glimpse into our eternal destiny, our eternal home. We look forward to that day when we stand perfect and without sin in your presence and can enjoy just being there forever. We just thank you for that and thank you for redeeming us and thank you for everything that you've done for us in Christ's name. Amen. We started last week, Revelation 21. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no more sea. Um, this is a whole new creation. God uncreates the current universe as we know it and creates a new one. And in this new universe, there's something missing, and that's sin and the stain of sin. Um, I think we don't fully comprehend or understand just how much sin has affected our existence. When we think of sin, we think of ourselves. We think that um, you know, somehow it only affected humanity. And we fail to realize that as far as the Bible says, sin's not only affected us as human beings, but it's affected the whole creation of God. I mean, in Romans chapter 8, it says the whole creation groans and travails together in pain. Um, at the fall of man, you had things like weeds and thistles and thorns, and you had carnivores, uh, animals starting to eat other animals, and the rain of tooth and claw. And the whole creation is under the curse. All of it is. The whole universe is under the curse. It's been tainted with sin. And the only way to get rid of that stain of sin in the universe is to undo it and recreate it all anew. And that's what God is going to do. And we noted that there was no more sea. Sea often refers to separation to the unknown. And also I think another indication here that I was studying this week is that our life in, in heaven is not going to be like our life here. I mean, our life here is based a lot on water. On We need water for our existence. In fact, you're 90% water. You're a couple of pounds of chemicals and a few gallons of water. Some of us are more gallons than others, but we're all water and chemicals. And, and uh, in that day, there's not going to be a water-based existence. We're going to be different. And then we saw the New Jerusalem coming down, prepared as a bride. And it says, the tabernacle of God is with men. Now, we're going to make a couple of statements on that at the end of Revelation 21 that I, that I heard this week that just, that really I never thought of before, but it's really going to be fascinating. We'll save those for 22. But God is going to be with us, and we're going to see him face to face. There, there's no more need for any kind of barrier or separation. See, the way that we have to approach God now is through a mediator. We don't just bop into God's presence and show up. I mean, we are there, and I think we need to understand that the only reason we have any access to God at all is through Christ. If it wasn't for Christ, you have no right to be in God's presence. Christ gives us the access, as it says in Romans chapter 5. But God is going to be with us, and we'll see him face to face, and the barriers, all barriers are gone, all of them. There's no separation at all. And then God takes away all of the grief and the pain and the sorrow of life. No more crying, tears, sorrow, pain, death, all gone. An eternal day. And verse 5 just sums it up a little bit. I make all things new. 
He doesn't take the old and recreate it. He doesn't refurbish. He makes a whole new creation. Everything is new. Vance Havner says God doesn't run an antique shop. Everything's new. The new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. And then in verse 6, we see that construct called the prophetic past, which basically is something that is so sure that it's spoken of in the past tense. It's done. What is done? Well, the plan of God is done. Redemption accomplished. See, right now, the plan of God is being unfolded. It's not done yet because we're not in heaven yet. We're not in the eternal state yet. So the plan of God is still unfolding, but someday he's going to be able to say, finished. It's all done. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. Who overcomes, the believer overcomes. And we inherit it all. We don't inherit some. No private property in heaven. No lawyers. No probate courts. No, no deeds. No land ownership. We get it all. We get everything. All join heirs with Christ. And then we see the exclusion, verse 8, of the unbelievers. Where are they? Well, that's the lake of fire. You have an eternal state, but outside of that eternal state is all of the sin, confined to one location, which is called the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. That is the final destination of the lost. And the thing is, not only is it the destination of the lost, but all the evil in the universe is there. There won't be any in heaven. There won't be any there. There won't be any possibility of evil. And then we see a description of the New Jerusalem where we come today. Then one of the angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God in her. Her light was like a most precious stone, like jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel, three gates on east, three gates on north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. John is now given a description or a, a view of the holy city, and I think at this point we need to understand that he's going to try to describe something that you really don't have the vocabulary to describe. He really, it's an indescribable thing to him to see this city. Um, he, he's, he's grasping for words to understand, and, and, and he just can tell you what, what it's like. And, but the beauty of this place is beyond description. Hollywood could never create a movie that would come close to the beauty and the splendor of this great city. And it's spoken of here as the bride, the lamb's wife. Who is the bride? All of the redeemed. Now, of course, we are the bride of Christ. And there are some Bible scholars that have said not only are we the bride of Christ, but in the eternal state, in, in essence, all the redeemed are the bride of Christ. All the redeemed of all of the ages will have access to this great city. 
And so it's seen in terms of being the bride of Christ because this will be our eternal dwelling place. Christ said it himself, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you. And this is the prepared place, and it's coming down out of heaven. So the question people have is like, where is it now? I don't know. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't tell us where it is. Um, some say, well, you know, are we going to be in there in the millennium? I mean, are we going to live in this new Jerusalem in the millennium? I, I don't know. It doesn't tell us. This is really the first time we see the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. I don't know where we will dwell during the millennium. Uh, we will have access to heaven, certainly. I mean, throughout the tribulation, where are we seen to be? Well, heaven. Where is this eternal city? I don't know where it is. Maybe God's got it hidden away in some corner of the universe or some plane of existence if you're a sci-fi freak. Or I don't know where he's got it, but somewhere out there he has this prepared place, and now it comes down to the new heaven and new earth, particularly the new earth. And it says he was carried to a great and high mountain. Now, it would have to be a great and high mountain. And the reason it would have to be a great and high mountain because this is a big, big, big city. It's huge. Um, evidently, in the new heaven and new earth, there are mountains. I mean, we're not really given a geological description of the new earth. Um, it, all we know is there's no more sea in it. But as far as what it is like, it's going to be something indescribable. Most likely, it will be a place bigger than the earth at this time. I mean, we don't know. It, see, the problem is, when it, when it comes to some of this, everybody wants to fill in all of the details. and You know, you're just given a glimpse. You're given a photograph of this place. And you got to take what you can get. It's a great city. Um, and it's descending down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It is radiating the Shekinah, blazing, brilliant glory of God. By the way, whenever men saw God, what did they see? Blazing light. Inapproachable light. There's a word, effulgence. That's an interesting word. It just means a blazing effulgence. E-F-F-U-L-G-E-N-C-E. -E. And it's just a blazing, blinding, glorious light. And the light of New Jerusalem is not going to be done through electrical power. It's not going to be fires burning. It's going to be the glory of God that shines throughout this place. And it says here, the light was like a most precious stone, like jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now, one of the difficulties, of course, as we read the Bible, is understanding what these stones are. Now, just before we start talking about this, we need to understand, is this the kind of stones that we have on earth today. I don't think so. I don't know what kind of stones these are. I don't know what their chemical composition is. But John has given us a description of what they look like. This one is like a jasper stone. and the, the, Probably the best and closest um, stone that we would have to this jasper would be our diamond, a diamond. 
The diamond, of course, is the most costly gemstone. And uh, if you do any study of diamonds, you will know that the clearer the diamond, the more it costs. There are brown diamonds that don't cost much at all. They're used in industrial drills. And the clearer the diamond gets, the more expensive it gets. And you can have a diamond that is a carat in size that can sell for many times another diamond of the same size only because of the clarity of the diamond. This is totally 100% pure diamond. There's no impurities at all in this diamond. It's created by God. There's no impurities. It's clear as crystal. There is, there's nothing to hinder the light from traveling through it. Now, why is that important? Well, if you have a singular source of light, God, and you have opaque walls, you have problems. Imagine a city of this size that is refracting light from all angles and all places. A dazzling, brilliant, blinding place beyond our comprehension. And it says this also had a great and high wall with 12 gates. There's entry points into this city. And at the gates there are 12 angels and names written on them which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So you've got 12 gates around the perimeter of this city and on each gate is the name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. They have their place in eternal history in a sense by having their names inscribed on these gates. And it says that three gates are on either side of this city. So the city has four sides and three gates on either side. Now it's interesting if you go back to the Old Testament you see a pattern of this. Back in Numbers, remember when God set up the camp and you had the tabernacle in the middle and he said, I want three tribes on this side and three here and three here and three here. And he puts the tribes on either side of the tabernacle. And reminiscent of that is this description here of 12 gates. And it said the wall of the city had 12 foundations, 12 foundation stones. I don't know how you describe it. He's talking about the foundation, the lower part of this city. And on each of the foundations were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. One on each foundational layer. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. So you're going to get a measurement. You're going to get an idea of how big this place is. And he said the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. How long is 12,000 furlongs? About 1,500 miles. Now think about that city. Where is it? From here to Denver. From here to Denver. Yeah, from here to Denver is about 1,500 miles, I think. Here to Denver. It's from... It's from Florida to the tip of Florida to the tip of Maine. 
And then you have this other description here that the length and breadth and height are the same. So the question then is, what, what is the shape of this? Well, there's only two shapes it could really be. A cube, or it could also be a pyramid. Um, both of them would have, you know, the breadth, then the height. It could be pyramidal in shape, or it could be a cone, or not a cone, but a cube in shape. And quite honestly, John doesn't tell us exactly which one it is. But if I had to lay odds on it, I would say it's probably a cube. Speaking John. John. I would lay odds that probably it is a large cube. Um, a huge cube, 1,500 miles on a side. That's, that's a big city. Large. Then we don't, by the way, it doesn't tell us how long it took John to measure it. I want you to measure 1,500 miles, and here's a nine-foot reed to do it. All right. Um, but he was given a, a reed to measure it. 12. And then he said, as he measured his wall, 144 cubits, according to measure of a man, that is of an angel. Now, understand how precise God is. People read this and say, well, you know, this is approximate language, you know, it's symbolic, yada, yada, yada. Well, he goes to a lot of trouble to give you some measurements. I mean, that's the problem. The problem is, if you don't accept this literally, how in the world do you interpret it? He's given you some exact measurements. Now, 144 cubits is 72 feet. Just, no, 216 feet, excuse me. It's about 216 feet. Um, and so, it, what, you know, a 216-foot-high wall around a city 1,500 miles high? That doesn't make any sense. Well, some say that the wall is actually, this is the width, not the height of the wall. And therefore, the width of the, uh, the, the, yeah, the width of the wall is 216 feet, goes 1,500 miles straight up in the air. So the gate would go up that high as well. I was going to comment on it. Just it seems to me that, that this design is so uh, I say, meticulously symmetrical. I, I can't believe the way things are designed. They just seem to be perfect in shape. Well, God's perfect, so what He makes is perfect. Yeah. What He creates is perfect, unless it's tainted by sin. But remember, sin's been dealt with. There is no more sin. And the city is fifteen hundred miles cubed. Now. You know, people say, wow, you know, that's a pretty big city, but, you know, is it, is it big enough? <laughs> you know, is it big enough for all of the redeemed to live there? I mean, you know, we have a lot of redeemed people, you know. Well, somebody did some math on it. Um, there's always got to be somebody who does to do the math, you know. There's always got to be someone, you know. And uh, they did the math on it, and they say, if you assume that in the entire history of all of mankind, you have about 100 billion people that were ever born and will be born during the millennium. By the way, it's about, they estimate it's about 40 billion to this point that have lived and are alive today, about 40 billion people in all of human history. Um, and let's say of those 100 billion, 
you take 20% as believers, which is probably a pretty high number, but that includes all the babies and all of that stuff, maybe 20 billion. You, you know, you're always doing approximation, but if you do that, 20 billion people can fit in a city 1,500 miles high, wide, and deep, and you have an area to yourself of 72 acres, cubic acres, all by yourself. <laughs> 72 cubic acres all by your lonesome little self. So you don't, I mean, you don't even have to, so all those annoying Christians, you don't even have to be close to them, you know? I mean, well, where's that guy at? Well, you know, he's 400 miles that way, thank goodness. You know, he's living out that way, you know? Um, Bottom line, folks, is there's going to be plenty of room. Yeah, he knows. And you're not going to be crowded. It's not going to be like your wall-to-wall -wall people. You're not going to feel claustrophobic. You know, it's going to be spacious beyond belief. And everybody will know each other. You got 72 cubic acres all to yourself, you know, and you don't have to mow the lawn there. I mean, it's none of that stuff. Don't have a mower. So this, yeah, it's, it's big enough. You're taking all high, you're taking all high numbers. You're, you're saying, let's take the highest number possible. That's sort of what you do. You know, let's take the highest number and you know, if you assume 20 billion, which is pretty high, you got okay, 40 billion. Now you're down to 36 cubic acres apiece. You know, there's still room. All right, there's there's plenty of room in this place for all of the people to be there and to not be crowded. And by the way, it doesn't mean that everybody's there at the same time. I mean, the very fact you have a gate means what? You can go in and you go out. Well, you've got a, you've got a recreated universe available to you. You've got a universe that's open to all, all of your exploration. And you've got a, this is on a planet, a new heaven, I mean, a new earth. And you know, you might want to see. You know, I'm going to go to the park. I'll be back in a billion years. You know, <laughs> time is irrelevant there. It's not going to be a boring place, you know. Say, oh, it's going to be boring. I guess I'm a clown string of heart for all, you know. You know, it's not going to be like that at all. It's going to be a place of so, so pure joy, so unimaginable joy, that time is irrelevant. It's meaningless. We're beyond time. You're not going to age. You're not going to get old. Nothing's going to decay. Um, it's a place of unbelievable glory. And he said this huge city of 1,200 or 1,500 miles on a side. Um, it said the construction of his wall was of jasper. Can you imagine a diamond wall, 216 feet thick, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high, pure diamond? I mean, I have a hard enough time with a little one I got dying. That cost me an arm and a leg, you know. Think of this thing here. Um, 
huge place. And why is it, why is it clear? Well, the glory of God is going to be blazing out of this thing to the universe. The unbridled, unhindered glory of God. And it says the city was pure gold, like clear glass. Now, we've not seen gold that clear. Now, is this gold like we have on our hand? He might be grasping for words. It might be a golden color. But whatever it is, it's pure. See, everything in heaven is pure. You understand that down here on, on this planet, nothing is pure. 24 karat gold is really not pure gold. You know that. There's a few atoms of this and a few atoms of that in there. It's not pure. Um, the best diamonds in the world are not pure. There's always a speck of something deep down in there that's not diamond. Pure water, if you knew it was swimming around in your water, you wouldn't drink it. It's not pure. But there, everything is pure. There's no, no contamination of any kind. One of the reasons they have the space shuttle, by the way, is to create drugs in a, in a weightless environment to keep the purity high, because down here you've got contamination. And My brother works in a, a, a memory chip manufacturing place, Micron, he manufactured memory chips for computers. And he says they got the technology, they can write your name in one Micron high letters on a computer chip. You know how, what a Micron is? There's a million of them in an inch. All right, microscopic. And uh, he said, you can write on a micron. And, and the problem is the, the smallest dust particle will ruin the whole chip because it's hundreds of times bigger than a micron. Hundreds. A speck of dust is a hundred times bigger than that. And it ruins the whole batch. And they have a hard time. And, you know, he's got to wear one of these, you know, it looks like a space suit or whatever it is. You know, he's got to put that because you can't have dust, you know. If you sneeze, there goes the whole batch, right there, down the tubes, you know. One hair falls in there, the whole batch is gone, you know. So you've got to maintain a pure environment up there. Purity. Absolute purity. And then he talks about the foundations were adorned with all kinds of precious stone. The first was like jasper, again, what's that, diamond. God sort of likes diamonds. By the way, diamonds are God's best friend. You know, when girls are God, or diamonds are girls' best friend. Well, diamond, God, God likes diamond. Because he makes the city out of basically one big, huge diamond. You say, well, that's tough. Now nah, he just speaks it into existence, right? He's God, infinite, all-powerful. You know, it's, it's easy for him to create a 1,500-square-mile diamond than it is for him to create the littlest diamond. It's no big deal beautiful city and the first was diamond the second like sapphire a bluish color and the third was chalcedony that's a reddish color I think and then the fourth is an emerald green sardonyx by the way chalcedony no it's a sky blue agate stone it's according to my MacArthur study Bible notes and then you have emerald, of course, that's green. And then sardonyx here, it says, is a variety of chalcedony with parallel layers of red and white. Sardius, 
color from orange red to brownish red to blood red, chrysolite, transparent gold or a yellow tone, beryl, could be green or golden yellow or blue, topaz, yellow or yellow green color, chrysophase, is um, apple green, jacinth, it's uh, reddish or reddish brown, and amethyst is a purple color. What's he trying to say? He's trying to say the refracted light of God's glory gives brilliant, blinding colors to the foundation. You see, you understand God's not boring. He's got a variety. Someone said, you know, God could have created that we all eat mud. Mud for lunch, mud for breakfast, mud for, for dinner. He created us to subsist on mud. How many people like to eat mud all day long, all the time? He's a God of variety. He created a variety of things. It's not just one thing. It's a variety. And in heaven, he has a beautiful city that is beyond belief. And these are the, these are the refracted colors of the blazing, brilliant, blinding glory of God coming through this huge diamond that splits it in all of the colors of the rainbow of beauty beyond belief. Is this actual amethyst stone? I, I don't know. But it looks like it. It's beautiful. And then here's another one. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each interval gate was of one pearl. Now that's one big oyster. Who's <laughs> that pearl? A, a, a pearl. And by the way, I, I don't know if you knew this. But in the Roman Empire, the pearl was one of the most precious gemstones that they ever had. And the reason being is because to get to the pearls, you got to dive in the water. And back then, they did not have submarines and they did not have deep sea diving equipment. So you just dove in and swam down and got the clam. And of course, you got to dive down pretty deep, and it's kind of hard to get those things. So to the Romans, the pearls were of immense value because they couldn't get to them. And here we have 12 large, humongous pearls that form the gates to this city. What's the gate look like? Is it round? Is it, it doesn't say. It's just it's a pearl gate. God is a God of beauty. And maybe someone said the pearl might be reminiscent because how is a pearl formed? An irritation pain. And as that sand is in there and it's overlaid with this pearl, it becomes a precious stone in a sense. The only reason we get to go to the city of New Jerusalem is because somebody took some pain. It wasn't a free ride. There was a price paid. And then it said the street was pure gold like transparent glass. Unbelievable. I mean, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to say anything more about this. How do you say more about it? I mean, you can't imagine the beauty of this city. Transparent streets, a wall that's a 216-foot thick diamond that goes up for 1,500 miles. By the way, I don't know if you knew this, all the scientists geeks in here, 
but they figured that diamond is probably one of the few substances known to man that could actually be used to create a wall 1,500 miles high, 216 feet thick, and not collapse under its own weight. You couldn't, you couldn't create it out of concrete. It, would, it, would, it wouldn't stand. And you understand that today in a lot of the buildings are reaching limits as to what the materials can withstand for the height and the pressure. and the, you know, I mean, it, it's a real science to create these buildings. You've got to understand, you know, you got tons, you know, millions of tons of weight on these buildings. And it's an art to create something that can be, up, be high but yet strong enough to support the weight of the building, and they're, they're reaching limits on some stuff. But diamond, they figured, is something, sex, one of the materials that they said if they could get enough of it, they could build what they call an elevator that could put you in orbit. 40, 50 mile high elevator. It's the only material that could really do that because of the strength of it. It's a very strong, it's not only the hardest mineral known, it's one of the strongest. God knew that. I mean, he created everything. He knows exactly what he's doing. It's a beautiful city. And then in verse 22, he's, he's talked about the description of the city. Now he talks about the inside of it. I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lambert's temple. Think about that. Is there a temple in heaven right now? Yeah, there is. You read about it in Revelation, right? I saw the temple of God open in heaven, and smoke filled the temple, and no man could enter it when the vials were being poured out. And, you know, we see it thrown in, in, inside the, the temple. The temple was open. And in Hebrews, it says, uh, God said, Now, when you make the tabernacle, I want you to make it according to what I told you, because it's a replication, it says. It's a replica of what's in heaven. So there is a heavenly temple of some sort. And why is that? Why, why, why is there a temple? In the human realm, what did the temple do? Provide a place where you went to worship. Why did you go there to worship? I thought God was a spirit. It's representative of him. Also, it's a place where the Shekinah glory dwelled, right? So, I mean, yeah, God is everywhere, but his manifested presence is not the same everywhere. You had it there in the tabernacle. What else does the tabernacle always remind you of? You just didn't go bouncing into God's presence and say, hi, aren't you glad I showed up? Because if you did, they pulled you out with a rope tied to your ankle and buried you. You just didn't walk in there. It was a vivid reminder that God is holy and we aren't. You had the Holy of Holies. By the way, what was the size of the Holy of Holy places? It was a perfect cube. I think it's, uh, I'm thinking eight feet, but I might be wrong on that. But it was a perfect cube, the Holy of Holies. What was in there? Well, the Ark of the Covenant was in there with the cherubim and the Shekinah glory of God was in there. And then in front of that, you had this huge, thick curtain 
And then you had the holy place. And what did you do in the holy place? Well, that's where the table of showbread was. That's where the altar of incense was. You would go near and offer incense on the altar. And then you work your way out, and now you're in the courtyard. What's there? Well, you've got the brazen altar. You've got the bronze sea. And then you go outside the tabernacle. What's there? Well, that's the outside area. So you had to go through all of these layers to get in. What verse 22 says, and I never saw it, but it's, it's fascinating, is it's basically saying the Holy of Holies has expanded in size to include the new heavens and new earth. It started out as an eight-foot cube, and we're all on the outside, but now the size of it expanded to include all of us. There's no longer any curtain to go through. You don't have to go by the brazen altar where you've altered, or you've sacrificed an animal to give you temporary covering for your sins so you could enter the holy place. You did not have to go through the table of showbread symbolizing the prayers. You, there's none of that. There's not even the Ark of the Covenant anymore. And quite honestly, let me ask you a question. Where are, this is fascinating, I never thought about it too much. Where are the four living creatures? What were the four living creatures? What did they do? They surrounded the throne saying, holy, holy, holy. In essence, they're protecting the universe from God in a sense. Because we can't get past the four living creatures to God, but now... There's no barriers at all. The barriers totally come down. Wayne. Isn't that one of the definitions of eternal life? You get to know God, you get to be in His... You see, we don't understand. We can be as close to God as we are to each other. There's no... There's no walls. There's no rituals to go through. We're all perfect. There is no need for a temple. Why? Because there's no need for an altar. There's no need for a wall. There's no need for a veil. There's no need for sacrifices. So why have it if you don't need it? Get rid of it. Temporary. And the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it. The glory of God illuminated. The Lamb is its light. Singular light source, which is God himself. You don't need a sun to shine. You don't need a moon. You don't need any electrical light bulbs. You don't need any fires. You don't need anything else. It's illuminated by God himself. Now think of the brilliance of this. 1,500-mile translucent city blazing with the brilliant glory of God shining through all of these transparent stones throughout it. The beauty is something beyond our ability to even comprehend or grasp. And we're not going to be blinded by the glory. Why is that? Because we'll be holy, perfect. And it says, the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. 
and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Now people have a problem with verse 24 because it seems like, well, you've got those that are in the city and now you've got the nations and the kings. And understand what he's saying here. The nations is just the word ethne. What's that? People. It's just a general term for people. And it says, all of the people of those who are saved shall walk in the light of this blazing, brilliant, glorious city. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. It's the central point of all of God's creation. Now, you know, the thing is, well, what, what are we doing with kings here? Well, we'll find out when we get there. I don't think it's a king in the sense that we understand of a king today. Is there going to be any need for a government in heaven? We're perfect. Who are you going to rule over? Who are you going to administrate? You don't need any of that. Who are you going to tax? There's no taxes. Who are you going to arrest and lock in jail? There's no need for that. Who's the judges? There's no need for courtrooms. All of the structures that we have to have today to, to have an orderly society are unneeded. Everybody's perfect. Nobody breaks the law. Nobody does anything wrong. There's no need for that. I just think what it's saying here in verse 24, in a nutshell, is that the entire New Jerusalem is the central focus point of all of eternity. There are no other cities on the earth. There are no other places to vie for its glory. And people are going to have free access, and everyone who's ever been saved of all of eternity will walk in its light. There's not going to be any any restrictions on movement or travel. And its gates shall not be shut at all by day. Now, why do you shut a gate in a city in the Bible times? Protection. What are you going to protect against? There's no, there's no evil. There's no sin. There's no invading armies. There's no need to restrict people from going and coming because it gets dark out. Because there's no darkness. There's no night. There's nothing to, to threaten. So the gates are open at all of the time. And there's an angel at each gate anyways. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of all people into it. Nations there again is just people. Which tells me that there's going to be people in New Jerusalem, people outside the New Jerusalem, people on the earth. Now, some Bible scholars, what they've done, and, and I, you know, again, I, you can't be dogmatic about this because, you know, we won't find out until we actually get there. But some would say that the New Jerusalem is really the dwelling place of the church. We are the bride of Christ, after all, they say, so therefore the New Jerusalem is our place, because that's what we've been promised. Christ promised us what? A, a, a mansion, and it's really a dwelling place. In John 14, we, we were promised that. So they would say, well, our eternal abode as, as a believer in the church age is, is, is this new Jerusalem. And what was Israel promised? What was the Israelite people promised? They were promised a land. And so what happens in the eternal state is Israel and all the redeemed of Israel and, the and, and those outside the church, they are given the entire earth as their domain 
and have free access to this great city where we dwell as believers. I don't. That's a possibility. One thing I do know, you know, it, see, in the eternal state, there, you know, if you're a Jew, you're say, you know, I'm really bunks. I don't get a, I don't get to live in the city. You know, I'm homeless. I don't have it. You know, um, you don't really care because you're perfect, right? You inherit everything. No. You know, the pain's gone, the sin's gone, the jealousy, the envy, the strife, the hatred, the, all of that stuff that separates us, all the stuff that we struggle with all the time, that's, it's gone. I mean, it's totally gone. And you're not going to be walking around him saying, no, I, he got a bigger mansion than I did. There's going to be no jealousy. There's not going to be any of that stuff that we struggle with on a daily basis. It's all gone. Its gates will not be shut, and they will bring the glory and honor of all the nations into it. There's no competing city to the New Jerusalem. In verse 27, he says, But there shall by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life? The elect. Who are the redeemed? No one else gets in. Why not? Well, where are they at? And, and you say, well, why does he have to throw verse 27? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, you know, th this, by the way, is the, is the second of three statements he makes in these final two chapters about what does not get in the city, he's trying to make a point. The point is, not only is it nothing in there that defiles it, but nothing will ever enter to defile it. Nothing will ever get in there that, that causes a taint in this eternal state that we are in. Someday you're not going to be able to sin. You won't be able to make a mistake. You won't be able to think a lie. You won't be able to do something you shouldn't do. Nothing will enter it to defile the city or cause an abomination, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's the only way you get into this city. As God, for whatever reason, eternity past, put your name down as a citizen of his eternal heaven. And we get to go there. And what it means is there's no mistakes by God. God, God does not let one person slip through whose name's not written in the book of life. No one gets omitted. There are no missing pages in the book. There's no mistake on spelling. He knows exactly who should get in. And only those whose names are written there get into this wondrous city. It's, it's, you know, when you read this, it's sort of like, how, how do you exposit something like this? I mean, you just take it for what it says. And Bart and I were talking a little bit earlier about the preterists, you know, and the, the people who deny the millennium and things like that, you know. When they come to this stuff, you know, they just bounce all over the place. It's, 
It's sort of like, uh, you know, you're out in the middle of a storm on a boat and you lift your anchor. Well, you don't know where you're going to drift. You don't know where you're going to go. And uh, I was listening, and, and when, I get my, when I order some tapes, I'm going to make copies of this, and anybody who wants to listen to them can. It's sort of fascinating if you're into this prophecy kind of thing. But it was R.C. Sproul and a bunch of them on prophecy, and they were talking about the millennium. And R.C. said, well, you know, all of us have been to the amillennial parking lot. Amillennium says there is no millennium. And he says, you know, I've changed my position a couple of times in my life. You know, and, and the, whole, the whole point I'm trying to make there is if you don't believe in the literalness of this, Lord knows what you believe. I mean, you're all over the place. You know, R.C. says, you know, well, I was an amillennialist, now I'm a, I'm a, a, a post-millennialist, and maybe I'm a pan millennialist is just going to pan out. I don't know what's going to happen. Or, I mean, he doesn't know what he's doing. He, he goes all over. Somebody who knows the Word of God so well, he doesn't have a good opinion on what the millennium is. Because it's up for grabs. I mean, it's not literal. It's just an indeterminate period of time, which we are now in. And after all, all of the prophecies of the Bible, um, in fact, one of them, Kenneth Gentry, who has a he has a book out on the internet you can get. If you look up on Kenneth Gentry, you can find his book, who basically says everything in Revelation prophetically has been already fulfilled. And I'm sitting there listening to this guy say, you know, he sounds intelligent to me, but boy, I'll tell you what. I don't know where he's coming up with this stuff. By the way, the beast is Nero and, um, I don't know, all kinds of weird, I mean, just weirdness beyond belief, you know. Folks, you know, what I would do, if I didn't have any other evidence to the contrary, i just take it for what it says. It's a big city. It's made out of diamond. We get to live there. I'm not worried about, well, you know, how can, how can that big, I mean, the earth would be lopsided. You've got the earth here, and you got this big cube up here, so it would be lopsided. Don't worry about it. There's no sun, Right? So there's no orbits to worry about. The, the earth isn't spinning because you don't have day or night because there's no... It's different. It does, it's not like what we're used to now. It's totally different. And he's trying to give us a picture of something totally different. What's the heavens like in this eternal state? I don't know. Will there be stars there? I don't know. I, I don't think so. But he doesn't tell us that. It's, it's, a, it's a place. And by the way, who wants to go visit the stars if you can be with God all day long? I mean, really, who wants to do that? See, that's what we don't understand. See, to us, going to God is boring, right? Because you've got to go to church in our mind. You know, people say, well, you know, I've got to go, got to listen to that sermon. Oh, it's boring, you know. <laughs> to most people, being next to God is boring. He's not fun. They don't understand God. God is going to have us doing things, and you got to understand whatever God tells you to do is going to bring pure joy to your soul. 
See, our problem is, folks, you know, we, we just, we're used to a physical existence on this planet. I got to get up, you know, I got to get up tomorrow morning. I got to go to work. There's a reason they call it work. Because I wouldn't voluntarily go in. You know, if, if every two weeks the president of Moen came by and said, you know, I really want to appreciate you coming in and doing a job for us, that wouldn't motivate me to go there. What motivates me is an envelope that comes by. It has some numbers on it. All right, that's what motivates me to go to work in Moen. But it's work. Now, there are some days that I have fun. There are other days that, yeah, you... Let's just say I'm glad there's not a lot of Christians around me sometimes because I don't act like it at times, all right? Great model. Yeah. But uh, that's why they call it work. And, and you got to eat. You know, you get up and you're tired. You got to get breakfast. You got to drink your coffee where most of us are spiritual, right? You know, you got to get two cups in you. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit kicks in and you can deal with the day, you know? <laughs> and you got to stop and eat lunch. If you don't, you get weak at the end of the day and you're tired and you got to go home and eat. And they got to clean the dishes up. That's a real pain. All right, you got to sweep the floors, you got to mop the kitchen, you got to cut the lawn, you got to weed the flower beds. See, we're caught up in this existence. And what happens is all of this stuff, all of the necessities of life, it distracts us from many times just enjoying the presence of God. And uh, in heaven, there's no distractions, no clocks, no time cards. No irritable bosses to deal with. You don't have to stop and eat. You never go hungry. There's no KP duty. We enjoy the presence of God. And see, we're not used to doing, doing that. Stop and think about Moses. You know, Moses got to stay up on the mountain. How long was he up on the mountain with God? Did he eat? Did he think about it? Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. Probably not. Probably Moses was so engrossed with being in the presence of God that the idea of eating, I mean, it just didn't, you know, didn't even cross his mind. Because he was focused. Heaven's a whole different, it's a whole different mode of existence, a whole different plane of thinking. There are no deadlines. There's no, no responsibilities to, to have to deal with. There, none of that, all of that's gone. And you're free to just enjoy the presence of God. And far from being boring, it's going to be fulfilling beyond our imaginations. Because what is boring? Boring is something that we have to deal with on this planet. And it's not in heaven. It's not going to be boring. You know, some say, well, you know, get to play golf in heaven. Well, get a hole in one every time. You don't need to worry about golf. You don't need to worry about sports. See, that's, that's stuff that we use today for diversion, isn't it? There's nothing wrong with playing golf. I do it every Saturday. I told my dad, I was talking to my dad on the phone. I said, Dad, I'm getting up playing golf Saturday. What time you get? I said, well, Dad, I got, I'm going to get up before I used to get up to milk the cows. You know, yeah, yeah, you live on a farm. One of the worst things that I thought about living on a farm is got to get up so early in the morning. There's got to be a rule against that. Well, the only thing that gets me up before 6 is going to play golf on Saturday morning. 
All right. Yeah, well, you eat breakfast at 6.30, you're on the course at 7.30. So that's what I think is, but, but those are diversions. There's nothing wrong with recreation and a diversion from the responsibilities of life. You've got to come apart or you come apart. But in heaven, there's no need for diversion. There's no need for any of that. No pies. No pies. <laughs> but there'll be strawberry fields forever. I had to throw that in. <laughs> but uh, there's a song about that, wasn't there? Some? Yeah. But it's a whole plane of existence beyond our human comprehension to think of. Because when we think of doing nothing, we think boring. Well, when you're sitting there enjoying the very presence of God, you're not going to be bored. And by the way, God's infinite, so how long is it going to take you to get to really know Him? Forever. Don't worry about being bored. It's going to be a place of indescribable beauty, of joy beyond description, of fulfillment. Why did God create you? To enjoy His presence. So if you're doing the thing for which God created you, is that going to be boring? No, it's not. Well, next week we'll finish up chapter 22, and then we'll take our break. Dan, you going to say something? Yeah. Yeah. And how full is full? And how full, you know, and then think of you know, being satisfied. <laughs> being satisfied is very cool. It's like your place, like you yeah. said, your place and you got 72 acres. It's not like, you know, a billion years from now, all of a sudden you become dissatisfied with it. You say, you know, I need another 72 acres. It's just going to Yeah, there's no teen of sin. And our existence is going to be. Right, and, and it's, to me, it's always like, as we go in, as, as if you will, that we will, you're constantly there to walk in the presence of God. It's like you'll always be satisfied no matter what. And, and it's kind of like that in itself is unbelievable. You're not going to have to sleep, you're not going to have to rest, serve God day and night. And, and I don't know what activities he's going to have us do. You know, I, I don't know what he. But whatever it is, yeah, you know, think about the angels. You know, the, the angels surround the throne of God. And, you know, I often wondered, you know, if God's told one of them, say, you know, I need you to go do this. You know, the angel said, look, you know, I've done this thing 15 times before. That other guy hasn't done anything. Would you have him do something? I, I don't want to go. <laughs> that's, what, that's how we would respond, right? 
That's not how the angels respond. The angels jump at it. And the very, the very thought of why doesn't somebody else do this, why do I always have to do this, doesn't even cross their mind. They're more than happy to do that. If you have kids, you understand what I'm talking about. You know? The whole thing, I mean, it's, it's just, it's inconceivable because, you know, the mortal, the mind, the limit, it's like, really, there's just no way you can figure it out until it happens. Got it. Revelation 21 and 22 is the most difficult chapters to understand because they're only very rough approximations of what it's really going to be like. It's going to be far beyond anything that John could not write in words what this place is going to be like. He could just give us a little snapshot. It's a real place. Yeah, it's a real place. It's not a figment of his imagination. It's not some indeterminate, you know, don't get into this. It's, it's a real place. It's a physical existence. And it'll be joy beyond our ability to understand. The lost, however, have no part of this. Whereas we get to serve God day and night, they have no rest day or night. And... Um, that's a, that's a sobering thing to think about. Well, let's pick up with Revelation 22 next week. Father, thanks so much for this time to think about what you've written down. Father, the beauty of this place, the description of it, is really beyond our ability to comprehend. We, we could sort of get a, a little bit of a a little bit of a view of this place, but it's like seeing an old faded black and white photograph of a place we've never been to and try to understand what it's like to be there. It just doesn't, it doesn't convey all of it. Father, we know we don't deserve to be in this eternal city, and all we can do is thank you for allowing us to be there by writing our names down, by redeeming us in time and allowing us to be part of your people. I pray, Father, we would live in light of our eternal address. I would realize that our real home is not here but there, and that we would live as believers who have a far greater destiny and future than, than we can comprehend. And I pray that you would help us to share the message with those who are not yet saved, whose names might be written down, that they may be part of that place too and be with us and with you forever. We just thank you for this time of study. In Christ's name, amen.